You're listening to the Together Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. For more information on Together Church, you can visit our website at wearetogether.church. We hope you enjoy today's message. A couple of years ago, I was uh, driving through Merle's Inlet on the way to the, uh, to the, the beautiful city of Myrtle Beach. Um, and I was supposed to meet someone where seven, Highway 707, Highway 17 and Highway 707 kind of cross each other. And I said, well, meet me at the CVS on 707. And I was coming from, from the Polly's Island area, and they were coming from the North Myrtle Beach side. So we had timed it to where if, I, if I'm here at this time, they'll be here. So I get to the CVS at the 707, and I'm waiting. And it wasn't like this person to be late, and it's five minutes past the time that we were supposed to be together. And then five more minutes roll by, and it's been 10 minutes now. So I make a call, and I said, hey, I've been sitting, waiting. And they said, uh, well, we're here. We've been here for 10 minutes. I said, what are you driving? So I get out of the car, and I start looking. And I'm like, no, you're, you're not here. Like, I'm telling you, you said CVS at 707, right? They said, yes. I said, are you at Walgreens by chance? They said, no, we're at 707 at the CVS. I was like, I'm telling you right now, I have walked this entire parking lot. Stand up on your car, on your hood, wave something, because you're not here. I'm missing it. And they're like, Robbie, I'm telling you, I am at 707 at the CVS. And you know what? We were both at 707 at CVS. The problem was 707 does this whole little loop around Sacristy and back in. And you know what is at the end of both ends of 707? A CVS. So we were indeed where we thought we were supposed to be but we were so far from where we needed to be, which was with each other. Now, isn't that often that's what happens in our life? Like, we think we know where we're going. We have a destination punched in, but we kind of remove and, and get lost, and we, we end up at our location only realizing that we're not at the same location. Same road, but we ended up in a completely different place. And that's what this series is, is to help us get on the same road and when we punch that destination in as a church, we end up at the very same location. That we're not thinking that this is where we're supposed to be and everybody kind of has this idea and then we're not. We're not anywhere close to being where we need to be. And so this year has been a, a year for our church where we have decided that we're going to do some recalibrating. We're gonna, we're gonna, we know kind of who we are now. We know the direction that we want to be moving uh, we, we, we've taken a lot of principles that we've learned over the last three years, and we've started to ingrain those things into our decision-making processes, how the church runs, into our leadership, um, into a lot of different areas. And so to start this year off, we, we have said that we want to recalibrate. And one of the things that we did was we said we're, we're going to change our mission statement as a church because the other one was good. It was grounded in the scripture, but you couldn't repeat it. You didn't remember it. And honestly, half the time I would say I'd forget what it meant too. And so we made it a lot easier. So read this with me. This is our mission statement that we, we would exist as a church to love God, to love others, and make disciples of Jesus everywhere. Let's read that one more time. We exist to love God, love others, and make disciples of Jesus everywhere. Okay? That's pretty easy. There's going to be a quiz next week. We'll see how good you know it. We won't put it on the screen. We'll test you a little bit. And just to make you feel better, I messed it up last week. In case you didn't catch it, but it, has, uh, it was a mess up. 
So we exist to love God, love other people, make disciples of Jesus everywhere. Now, this is our mission. This is what we do as a church. Everything revolves around those things. But that mission also inspires four values that we hold as a church. We hold near and dear. And we talked about the first one last week. We said as a church, value number one, above all things, we prioritize the gospel above all things. Like there's nothing that will get in the way of the gospel. We will die on that hill, but we will preach Jesus crucified and resurrected until we're blue in the face. We will not back down from that. Uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says that this is the foremost thing. When Paul's preaching about the foremost thing, what Paul's talking about is the gospel. You have to be grounded on the gospel. If the church is not grounded on the gospel, it's not grounded in Jesus. And if it's not grounded in Jesus, it is not a church. It is just an organization at that point. And as a, as a body, a together church, we're not an organization. We're an organism because we are the body of Christ. We are living and breathing and moving, as Paul says in the book of Acts. We're moving because of what Jesus is doing in and through our lives. So we prioritize the gospel above everything. That would lead us to value number two today. As a, as a church, we would say this, that we make disciples, not just converts. We make disciples, not just converts. Now, I want to explain this over the next few minutes with you to help you understand why we would make this. The Bible never called us to make converts of people, ever. But that's what we talk about a lot. We want to make all these converts. Jesus said to make what? Disciples. People will be converted, no doubt. We've seen it. We've seen it through the scriptures. We've seen it through, I mean, we've all been converted to the gospel. We've all been converted to Jesus. We had a conversion experience, but it doesn't stop there. There's a discipleship piece. That that's the part that Jesus called us to make. He said that I will build my church. So Jesus says that he will build the church, but the responsibility that falls upon us is to make disciples. We don't save people. We don't have to sit down and try to close a, a, a sinner's prayer with somebody. We share the gospel with them. And through doing so, and by the way, evangelism really is discipleship. And when we do that, the Holy Spirit works in that to, to bring in the salvation for someone. And then our job as, as believers is to walk that out with them. A lifelong process. So let me show you where we get all this stuff from. Matthew chapter 28. We call this the Great Commission. And I want you to hear the words of Jesus. Now, Jesus has been, here, been with them, with these disciples for three years now. He's about to leave, okay? He's been warning them of this day. He's been telling them that I'm, there's a day that's coming. I'm going to leave now. I'm going to send you a helper. It's good for me that I leave, and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. But you need to understand there's a day coming I'm going to leave. And they, they have witnessed Jesus be murdered on a cross. They, they witnessed his crucifixion. They witnessed his re resurrection. They have a, spend a few days with him after the resurrection. There's another 40 days that Jesus was on the earth, and, and they're thinking everything's going back to normal. But one day he goes, guess what, guys? I'm out. Like, I, I, it's time for me to leave. And, and when Jesus is about to leave, he gives, these are the final words. These are the final words that he gives to us and to his people and his disciples when he's about to never speak from his earthly body again. And he says this, it's a command. He says, therefore, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now listen to this verse, because that's, that, we always stop right there. Go make disciples of all nations. 
baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But listen to this. There's a responsibility to that, too. He told us to go, but now listen. Teach these new disciples. Teach them. So it's not just people get saved and this is a done deal. He says, you teach these new disciples to obey all of the commands that I've given you. Everything that you've learned. They didn't have seminaries. They didn't have John MacArthur study Bibles. Anybody grow up on those things? That, that thing got me through a lot of problems, I can tell you that. We did, they didn't have all that stuff. All they had were the teachings that they heard Jesus teach them, the commands that had been given, the Torah, the Tanaka. They had these, these early scriptures. And he says, you teach them all these commands that I've given you. And be sure of this, because that's a big task. Do you know when he said go into all the nations? They hadn't really ventured outside of Jerusalem or Galilee. And he's telling them to go to places they had never been before, things that they had never fathomed of leaving Israel and going into Europe and going into these other places. They didn't know that that was even a possibility. And he gives them this assignment. Because for us, it's no problem. We'll go into all the world. It's just a couple of clicks on the Internet, buy a plane ticket, and we can be there in a few hours, right? It wasn't like that for them. And so he says, you go and you teach and know this. And he says, be sure of this. And this is the most comforting part because some of you will say today, I don't know how I'm supposed to do this. But listen, I'm going to repeat this verse again in a few minutes, but I want you to, to grasp it right now. Jesus' final word says, and be sure of this. I am with you. When is he with you? Because oh, he's not with you sometimes. He's not with you in the high moments and then abandon you in the low moments. He's not rejected you and moved away when you're having that spiritual conversation with somebody and you don't know what words you need to speak. He says, I am with you always. No matter where you are, he's with you. He's with you in every confrontation that you have. He's with you with every conversation that you have. He's with you with every high point in your life. He is always with you. And I will even put this out there because we know the scriptures tell us this too. He will empower you to do what you need to do in those moments. And so he says, be sure of this. I am with you. Be confident of this. Know this. Write this on your heart. Know that I'm with you always, even until the end of the age, when it's all said and done. I will be with you until you take your last breath. And when that last breath on earth is taken, you'll be standing in my presence. I will always be with you. Now, we read this from an English standpoint, right? Because we all speak English. Some better than others. But you've got to read this in the context that it was spoken, which would have been in Greek. Okay? So when we look at this verse in English, there's several verbs that pop up in the sentence. Right? He tells, us, um, he tells us to go. He tells us to make. He tells us to baptize. He tells us to teach. He, they're verbs that are being used. But here's the thing. That's the English language. But when Jesus spoke this in the Aramaic, in the Greek, there's one verb in all of this. One verb. Not all the ones that we have in England. And here's the one verb, make. That was it. You make. He says that the one verb in the Greek is make. We make disciples. All these other words that are translated, they're translated as verbs, but they're actually participles. Y'all remember this? How many of y'all like English? And it was like, oh, I hate going to English class. All right, just me. That's why I wrote this down and I'm reading it word for word. But these, these other verbs are actually participles, which means that they modify the verb. So the, the verb is the central thing. The other things are extensions or applications of the main thing. When you make, these things happen. 
When you make disciples, you baptize them and you teach them. The other interesting thing in the Greek language here is Jesus said that you, what's the first word? Therefore what? Go. Now, we read that word as, okay, we should just go. When do we go? When do we stop? Do, is, is there a, a green flag, red flag? How do we know? Uh, in the Greek, it says, as, therefore, as you're always going, no matter where you go, no matter what time it is, there is no stop. Wherever you go, make disciples. Standing in line at the Starbucks, make disciples. Standing in line at McDonald's in the drive-thru, there's a lot of time to be making disciples if you haven't been through a drive-thru in Monk's Corner lately. There's a lot of time to be making disciples. When you're sitting at your family dinner, when you're reading your, your bedtime stories to your kids, when you're praying over people, make disciples. It says everything. See, we want to compartmentalize. And we would imagine that we make disciples when we come to church. But Jesus says it's so much more than the church. It's what happens outside of this place that changes the inside of this place. And we've gotten it wrong for so many years. That if we, if we value all of our stuff here on this weekend and we judge the metrics of our church and say all these metrics are great, our attendances are great, and, and people are showing up and good things are happening, and that's good, and we want those things to happen here. But let me tell you something. If that never leaves this room, what good is it? It's only good news to people who hear the good news. It's not good news to people that never hear it. And so what would happen if we took this and we, we said, what if Jesus really meant what he said and that we're to go and we went outside of this place and we started making disciples of people that were gathered all over this, this town? What would that mean to the worship that happened in this place when we came back in here to gather together, sharing the stories of what God had done? the blessings of what we had seen, watching his hand move across our people. It would make the weekend so much more powerful, but it still wouldn't be about the weekend. See, our metric is how many disciples are we making and how many of those disciples are making disciples? Because that's what we've been called to do. Jesus is not going to look us in the eyes and say, what was your church attendance? But what he is going to ask is, how many disciples did you make? Because that's what I asked you to do. That's what I asked you to do. Let me, let me explain a little bit about, about this, because this great commission, this make disciples. Make disciples is the central verb in this text. So the bottom line is this. For everything the church does, make disciples is the central thing that extends to everything else, that permeates everything else. When we're grounded in the gospel and we prioritize the gospel, we become students of the gospel, disciples, and then we disciple makers. That's the central verb. Anything else we do doesn't matter in the context of discipleship. They're byproducts. You want to you get the giving of the church up? Make sure people are discipled and they love Jesus. You want to make sure that people are showing up the church and consistent? Make disciples. But see, we, we try to do all these other little gimmicks to get people in, and then what happens? We don't, we don't make true, disi like true disciples. So there's two questions I want to ask you today. The number one is this. What is a disciple? Because we've heard that term thrown around, right? When somebody asks us if we believe in Jesus, we would say, yeah, I'm a Christian. But what about, yeah, I'm a disciple? So, so what is a disciple? Did you know that that word in the New Testament is used 274 times in the New Testament. 
And in the Gospels alone, it's used 261 times, the word disciple. You know how many times the word Christian is used in the New Testament? Two. So what do you think Jesus wants you to be identifying as? A disciple. He wants you to identify as a disciple. Now this, this word, disciple, we, it translates in the Hebrew to a word we call Talmud, a Talmudim. It means student, teacher. Or you have this teacher-student relationship, the rabbi being your teacher and disciple being the student. And in Arabic, it translates to Taliban, just FYI. So uh, don't go around telling people that, that you're, you're part of the Taliban. That's not going to go well. Um, and for reference, for those listening on audio, we are not a part of that. Um, we're disciples of Jesus. And so um, here's how it would work in the, in the New Testament. Okay, So you would go to school starting at five years old. And in school, in Jewish school, you would study the scriptures. Did you know by the age of 12 years old, that they could pretty much quote the entire Old Testament from memory. I can't even remember my phone number. And I definitely can't remember my passwords to my computer. I get them reset every single day. They could pretty much quote from memory, and this is no chapters, no verses, that didn't exist yet, from memory, the Old Testament. Because they were people of the Word. They, they lived in the Word. And the whole goal, as, as, a, as, a, as a male, uh, the guys from five years old to 12, th their goal was to become a rabbi. That was the dream job. It was like getting into the NBA, becoming a professional athlete. The rabbi was the standard of jobs that they would want to do. They'd want to become that. And they would try, and they would work, and they would learn, and they'd be able to quote. And not only quote it, but they would know what it meant. And they could tie pieces of Scripture together. They were very well skilled in the art. When we look at Luke chapter 2, Jesus is sitting in the temple. And you, you notice in Luke chapter 2, when he's sitting in the temple, he's 12 years old, it says that the teachers of the law were amazed at what he did. Jesus would have been finishing up his formal education, Jewish education at that point. And, and so... At 12, everybody would be done with school, except for the guys. The girls at 12 would go home, and they would become, um, they would end up being prepared on how to be moms and how to be wives, and then they would end up getting married at about 13, 14 years old. The boys would go on to school until about 15. At 15, they would go choose a rabbi. So they would find a rabbi or teacher that they agreed with their teaching, they liked their point of view, they liked the way they taught. And they would go to that rabbi and they would say, I want to be your disciple. Now, now they're going to face a little quiz. There's going to be a little quiz to understand, do you really have what it takes to be a disciple? And so they would run them through a gamut of questions. They would ask question after question after question. And what they weren't looking for was to give answers. They wanted the disciple to be able to, to answer the question with a question. See, we do this thing backwards. We tell people what they should believe. Instead of asking them questions to let the Holy Spirit work in that tension to truly grind down what that belief is. And so they would ask question after question and after question. And if the rabbi felt that they were good enough, he would say this, come be my disciple. And if they weren't good enough, he would say, you should go home, take up your father's business, have many sons, and maybe one of your sons to become a rabbi. Let me ask you this question. Let's sidestep and ask a question. Um, where were all of Jesus' disciples? Where was James and John? Where was Peter? What were, what were they? They were fishermen. Why were they fishermen? Because they weren't good enough. They weren't good enough to be disciples. They were, they were rejected by the educational system of their day of going, go work your father's business, have many sons. 
Hopefully one of them can be a rabbi. Matthew. Matthew is not a rabbi. Matthew's a tax collector. Now, he's not working his father's business. He's got a whole other business he's got, and that did not go well for him. But all the disciples, none of them were, rabbi, none, none of them were disciples before they became disciples. They were not good enough. Now, for those who were good enough, from the age of 12 or 15 years old to 30 years old, they would study under that rabbi. They, wherever the rabbi went, they would go. Rabbi, go in the bathroom. They go in the bathroom. Rabbis having a chat with a friend, they would be in the private conversation because their goal was to become just like the rabbi. They wanted to be just like their teacher. So they would live life on life to learn. Matter of fact, that there, there's an old saying in, in, the, in the Jewish Mishnah that would say this. It's the oral law of the Jews. But it talks about when these rabbis would come into town walking through the desert, there'd be so much dust in the air that the disciple, you could tell who the disciples were because they'd be covered in the dust of the rabbi. And so these guys from 12 to 30, 15 to 30, would study and learn and become like the rabbi. And some didn't even make it to 30. Now, let me ask you this question. At what age did Jesus begin his public ministry? 30 years old. Does that mean that Jesus found a rabbi and the rabbi taught him and he was a disciple? No, Jesus in the Jewish history tells you that he's the first self-proclaimed rabbi. And at 30, he begins his ministry. Now, what did he do from 12 years old to 30 years old? Well, he took over his father's business. He was a stonemason. And Joseph dies at some point in his childhood, and he takes over the business. And then when he leaves, his brother James takes over the business, which is probably why James was a little, didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah and was a little ticked off with him when Jesus just leaves, and he ends up having to take over his, his dad's business. So the, the whole goal, students find a rabbi that they wanted to be like, and they would follow them, because they believed in them. And Jesus is the first disciple, or the first rabbi that we see that goes after his people and calls them to be his disciples. It's, it's countercultural in this first century Judaism that he goes out and he calls. He still does the same thing today. It's not valued on how much you know. It's not valued on the, all these little things that we should know by this point. It, it is valued on who you are as a child of God, that he, you are his and he calls you to him to be his disciple. You don't have to go and ask Jesus if you can be his disciple. He has already said yes and amen in that. So the, the rabbi, the Talmud relationship, it's a teacher to student relationship. Ray Vanderling, who's a, um, he's a Jewish historian, he's, he's, he's an American, he's actually the first American English speaking to ever graduate from Hebrew University, by the way, the first day of Hebrew, Hebrew University, you have to be able to speak Hebrew fluently, he didn't speak a lick of it, and he would end up going to study, uh, study Hebrew and then be the first Gentile to graduate from the Hebrew University, but he says this, the disciple did not merely want to know what his master knew, but to do what his master did to do what his master did, not just know the things of the master, but to do the things of the master. So a disciple of Jesus is not someone who simply just wants to know what Jesus taught. They want to actually live out the values and the teachings that Jesus taught. How do I do that? What does that look like to love my neighbor? What does it look like to truly love God? What does it mean that I would make disciples? What does that mean? And so we, we, we see this church culture where we've been taught that how to read the Bible and how to tithe and how to serve. But what Jesus is saying is that, that that's good. Those are good things. 
But you can give and you can serve and you can show up every week. But if you're not truly a disciple, you're missing the whole thing. Because you're not, you're not doing what I've called you. I've called you to be and to do, to make these things. So a disciple is one who not just wants to know what Jesus knows, but actually lives these principles out. Here's the second question. What is my role in the disciple-making process? So if a disciple is one that wants to live the teachings and be just like Jesus and do the things that he's commanded, and we agree with that, then what does it mean that my role is in disciple-making? Because he's telling me to go and make, so he's telling me to do something. Now, if I sat down with you and had a one-on-one question with you and it, had, it could just pop into an interview with some questions of going, all right, so you're a disciple. How are you making disciples? And I believe if we asked that question, we'd have like a numerous amount of questions, of answers. That, well, I, you know, I, I help, I lead a Bible study. But Bible study is not discipleship. Bible study is information. That is giving information and teaching. Now, how you ask questions and how you steer that could turn into discipleship. But just teaching alone and going through the scriptures is not true discipleship. And understand me. Let me preface it. Bible study is important. Did y'all hear what I just said? Say that with me. Bible study is important. Uh, I don't want to get any emails. And so they happen. All, hear me out, all churches, all churches, all churches make disciples. All churches. The question is, what kind of disciple? Because there are disciples of Jesus, and there are disciples of brands, and there's disciples of personal fulfillment, and then again, there's disciples of Jesus, and all those things are completely different from one another. Disciples don't emerge from our church services. So, you sit underneath the teaching, and we're learning, and this is equipping you, but this isn't making you a disciple. A disciple-making is going to happen when you walk outside of this room and you live out these values among the people that are in our town and community. And you can do that with people in here. I mean, I, I hope and pray that when we're done talking about this that you will see that when you enter into this room, there is an opportunity to still make disciples in our one-on-one conversations of, of being with people and challenging people and asking questions with people and, and showing how to, how to make disciples. So disciple-making has to be intentional. We just don't emerge from a church service and just become a disciple one day. It has to be very intentional. In the book of Acts, the, the verb make disciples is used to describe both the initial act of helping someone to come to know Jesus. So there, there's a two-part of that. The make disciples is, is not just helping someone come to that. That's why I said evangelism and discipleship can exist. We normally look at, I've got to get somebody saved, and then they become a disciple. Here's what I'm telling you. They can become a disciple before they meet Jesus. Because a disciple is a student, and they're going to have to learn some things. They're going to have to have some questions. They're going to have to wrestle in some tensions. And that's the part of evangelism that's working in discipleship, the part of sharing the gospel with someone. And the Holy Spirit, what he's going to do in that moment is he's going to water. He's going to, we're going to throw the seed out, and he's going to water that conversation. And it may take some time. It may not happen when you get up from that thing that somebody has said a Lord's Prayer or or, or, or sinner's prayer, and their life's completely changed. It may take time. Sometimes those things take years. Did y'all know when I was in high school, I ministered to a guy, I was sharing the gospel with him. And it was two years later, two years later, before he finally came to the understanding that he needed Jesus. And I had to ask myself, was I really, really bad at this? Because for two years, that guy didn't get it. Did I not explain it? 
All I was supposed to do was plant the seed and have that conversation. So every day we would go to high school, I would have that conversation. I would talk about it. He would ask questions, I would ask questions back. Robbie, can I lose my salvation? Robbie, can I do this? Robbie, I was told if I don't have the... And I, I was not a theologian by any means. I was very new to the Bible. I was just answering what I knew. And two years later, I'm working in a, a, a textile mill in the summer. And I took this job, and I didn't know that he had this job. And they take me to the, the area that I'm going to be... They, they worded this so well, but when I got there, I realized they played me for a fool. But they said, you're just going to unload some pallets from these 18-wheelers when they come in, these textiles. Uh, well, they didn't tell me what, there were no pallets. I don't know where they got the word pallet from. Maybe that meant something else. But they were these small boxes from ceiling to the floor stacked all the way back in this 18-wheeler that we had to hand remove. I was the most, best shape of my life that summer. But when I got there, this guy ended up being my partner from that we went to high school, it's been two years since we've seen each other. And he brought up the conversation and we talked about it some more. And that summer he gave his life to Christ. Because what were we doing? I was doing discipleship, I didn't realize what I was doing, but it was discipleship two years earlier of asking questions, helping him understand, helping him grow. And it processed along, along the line to where God finally revealed some things to him and, and he had processed some things. Does, does that make sense? That evangelism happens in discipleship. It's not one and then the other. It's, it's a mix of what happens. We've been trained that we're supposed to share this, this plan with people. And then once that happens, then we start the discipleship. But, but aren't we really telling them about who God is and what God does and, and the character of God and all these things beforehand? Not just you're going to hell if you get hit by a bus. I mean, that's important. But I don't want to give my life to something if I don't know who he is. And I don't know what he can do. And I want to know. I want to know these things. So you become a disciple by immersion. By immersion. Living out these values. Jesus says to do this, I'm going to do this. It may not feel right. It may not look right. But it's what Jesus has commanded me to do. I'm going to do this. So we become disciples as we're immersed into the culture. Now, you've got to be a disciple to be a disciple maker. Okay. I read an article on heart surgery last week because I didn't have anything else to read. But if you had a heart attack, I'd be like, everybody step aside. I read an article on heart surgery last week. Are you going to feel comfortable with me performing surgery on you because I read an article last week? I was talking to a friend of mine this week that says that they grew up with this, this kid that was an aggravation, and they remembered anytime something bad happened, this kid was probably in the middle of it. He probably had something to do with it. And then they said, you know what he is today? Like he sent a picture of my son because my son broke his arm, and he was the doctor that had repaired his arm and put the cast on. And I thought, well, what would have happened 15 years ago? Would you have trusted? Oh, absolutely not. Like what changed? Well, he's educated now. He knows a little bit. See, if you want to be a disciple maker, you've got to be a disciple, and you've got to be immersed in the Word of God. And you've got to, you've got to hear the Holy Spirit. You have to. Discipleship does not happen without the Holy Spirit. You understand that? It doesn't happen. Because he's the one that's telling us what we need to do and how we need to operate and, and what conversations that we need to have. And so, so we, we have to be immersed in the Word of God and hearing from the Spirit. The Great Commission is a call to make disciples. But I want to tell you the best news of all of this. 
it's, we, we would say that our church is on mission. And when we say that we're on mission, what we mean is we're on mission to make disciples. That's our mission that God has given us. But there's an interesting word here. We call this the great what? Commission. Well, let's divide that word up. Co. We're doing it with Jesus. He didn't call us to do it by himself. He has called us to join him in his mission of disciple making. This is why he says at the end of that verse that don't worry, I'm with you. I'm with you. He's not asking you to do something and go have conversations with people and then just abandon you and be like, oh, I don't know what you're doing. No, he's saying that I'm going to go with you to have these things. I'm going to lead you in these things. I'm going to show you people. I'm going to bring people into your life. This is, this is a partnership with the two of us. And so we see that it's, it's, it was not a special assignment for a few people. This is the central calling for every follower of Jesus. If I told you that the, the practical approach to discipleship was way easier than anything you've ever learned in an evangelism class, you would probably be surprised. That it's not, it doesn't have to be as difficult as we think it has to be. You don't have to have a theology degree. You don't, let me tell you this, the disciples didn't have any of that stuff. And that stuff's important. And as you grow, you, you learn stuff, right? But let me, let me help you out. The disciples only had two things. They had the, the word of their testimony, what Jesus had done for them, and they had the power of the Holy Spirit. They had the power of the Holy Spirit and the word of their testimony. And this thing grew like fire. Because I can't argue with what God's done in your life. It's so important that you know how to share your story of what God has done for you, where you were at before he found you, what happened when he found you, and what your life looks like right now. And you should be able to say that in a minute, a minute time. If you, if you understand the power that the Holy Spirit gives us and you understand your testimony of what God has done, you can be a disciple maker. That's all you need to be equipped with. Everything else will come. Everything. Trust me, it will come. Let me, let me cut some stuff here because um, the Great Commission applies to everybody. So there's no such thing. There's no such thing as a non-reproducing Christian. We reproduce. The question is, what are we reproducing? Are we reproducing disciples or reproducing consumers or reproducing just people that just want to be here? What are, we repro what are we reproducing? And I pray that we're reproducing disciples who want to be on mission with Jesus in making disciples, in baptizing, and in teaching. The Bible says Jesus said, follow me and I'm going to make you a fisher of men. It was a command. He tells the disciples, come follow me. I'm going to show you how to do this. I'm going to make this. I'm going to make you into this. So it's not by yourself. The mission's not by yourself. John 15, 8 says, he says, by, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. And so by bearing this fruit, what does it say you're proving? You're proving to be my what? Where's the fruit come from? The fruit comes from the seeds that have been planted. Every time I'm in the Word, God's plant seeds. God waters seeds. God begins to sprout these things. And when, these, when I'm living out these fruits that He's given me, it's proving that I'm a disciple of His. Because I'm becoming like my master, like my teacher, like my rabbi, like Jesus. And so it says a disciple will bear much fruit because we're living organisms. And living organisms re produce. So a disciple making plan was God's plan. A disciple maker was God's plan. Okay, this is not something that's just made up. It's not a western thought. 
a disciple maker, a disciple making disciple was God's plan for teaching the world. And God's plan for reaching the world is not for big ministries with popular preachers, but ordinary Christians who have been filled with the Holy Spirit, making disciples everywhere. That is God's method. Here's what I'm saying. You are God's method. There's no B team. There's no C team. It's you. Well, how can I do this? You do it with him. That's why he tells you that you, you don't have to worry about doing this by yourself. You are the method. God's plan for discipleship is not something but someone. And that someone is you and it's me. You don't have to be super talented. You just have to be willing and be used by the Holy Spirit. And we don't need to stop complicating this whole thing and just say, Holy Spirit, you just tell me what to do. And he will, and be obedient. Be obedient. You just need one step. Last two things here. We're going to close. I want to tell you two things you need to be a disciple maker. If you want to be a disciple maker, you have to embrace the commission of Jesus. You have to, you have to embrace Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 through 20. You have to embrace it. You cannot disciple if you don't embrace the commission, if you don't understand that this has been given to us, that this is the mission that we have been called to. This is the central thing is to make. Make disciples, baptize them, teach. Are you saying that I can baptize people? Yes. The Bible doesn't say the pastor has to do it. Right? Did y'all notice that? This is why we, we allow people who are believers if they've brought their friends or their family and they want to baptize friends or family, we allow that to happen because there's nothing the Scripture says it can't. Right before this, we're asked, like, how can Jesus give us all of this stuff? In verse 18 of that, Matthew 28, 28 uh, 18, he says that authority came from God. God has given this authority to assign us this mission. So if God said it and Jesus tells us to do it, we're going to be okay, everybody. So we have to embrace the commission of Jesus. This means we're intentional. Discipleship's an intentional. Here's the other thing. You want to be a disciple maker? You got to change what you care about. You got to change what you care about. This means you're going to have to detox some things. There's some, there's, there's some, some things that we're going to have detox. We can talk about that in a whole other conversation. Probably need to do a whole series on detox. But there are things that we got to detox from. There's things, we, we have a virus. And this virus has been running rapid through the church since the beginning of time through God's people, that we are so easily lured to, to legalism and, and lured to rules and all these other things, and, and those, those do nothing but bog us down from being able to do the mission. And when we truly care about reaching people and not just making converts and saying, oh, we, we had 14 people raise their hands and say yes to Jesus today, that's great. But where are those 14 people after the fact? Where are those 14 people after baptism? Are they being made into disciples who are making disciples. I would ask this question, to what end do we do what we do? Why do we have a weekend service? To what end? What's the point? And if it doesn't point back to making disciple makers, then what's the point? Well, we don't need to do it. If we're going to be a movement, we can't just reach new people. We've got to turn them into disciples. So here's my, my questions today for you as we close. And I'd say we've got to be very careful with the virus, by the way. Matthew 16 says, be on guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. All it takes is 
little bits and pieces of legalism to ruin it. It impacts everything. We're committed to making disciples, not just converts. Here's some practical questions. Are you a disciple? My biggest fear is that many people will never truly become actual disciples, but just cultural Christians. They go to church, they give, they serve, they'll read their Bible, they'll pray for you, but they never truly become like Jesus and transform people. You know, the, 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 the early church, the Christians in the Bible, you, did you know the Christians didn't give themselves that name? It was actually meant as a derogatory term when they were like, look at these little Christ, look at these little Christ. Because of what they were doing, they were given a name. People realized who they were because of what they did. Because it was more than just reading the scriptures. It was living these things out and loving the Roman that was, had killed their family. Think about Paul who had, Paul goes to church for the first time after he had probably just killed many of these people's family members and persecuted them. And we don't read anything about them throwing Paul out the church or trespassing him from the church. They embraced him and brought him in. And aren't we glad that he did that? Because the whole course of history changed. You can't belong to Jesus and not be a disciple. You can't. And the second question is, have you been baptized? Because that's the first part of following Jesus. It's taking the step, just like he did, of being baptized. Making that outward commitment that this is... I am a disciple of his. I, I'm, I belong to him. We have baptism coming up at the end of the month. We'd love for you to participate and be part of it. You can sign up at Welcome Desk right after this. We'll get you all the information. We'll sit down and have a conversation about what baptism is. You don't need to have it all figured out right now. What we want you to do is be obedient in that step. And here's my last question. Are you a disciple maker? Because every Christian is born to reproduce. That's why we're living organism. I wrote this thought down before I came up today, but I want to read it as we close, is that much, much of modern discipleship has focused upon making believers strong enough to survive the city rather than bold enough to transform the city. We have excelled in creating disciples, just not the kind that change cities or create shifts in our societies. Under the power of the Holy Spirit, I pray that our church will do more than make people strong enough to survive, but to transform. Because we will go forth in the gospel and meet the enemy where the enemy is and just remind him that we already stand in victory today. So I want to pray for you, and as we, we sing, I want you to ponder on those questions. Spend this week asking this question, am I truly a disciple? And then next week, I'll give you an opportunity. You say, I want to learn more about being a disciple maker. What does that look like? How does that work? I'm going to give you an opportunity next week that we can sit down and spend a few weeks studying that together. Just a, just a small group of us. And teaching you how to be a disciple maker and what the Bible looks like. So, Father, I thank you for every person here this morning. You've called us to be disciple makers. And it's a lot more than just being a member of a church. It's being a part of your mission of seeing lives changed. And uh, I just pray today that we would truly do a reflection. That, uh, are we disciples? Have we been baptized? And are we disciple makers? 
and the answer is no to any one of those things, I, I pray right now that you would just give us the courage to have a conversation with somebody and give us the faith to take the next step. Even if it's a very small movement forward, any step is better than nothing. So I just pray for our community of people that we will embrace the mission and change the things that we care about. We'll put all preferences aside to reach people and have conversations and be uncomfortable because we care more about you than we care about anything because we can't please everybody. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.